Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Vince Del Monte podcast. I'm here with a longtime buddy of mine, Uriel Kame, and uh, we were recently hanging out in Nashville, talking shop, talking about how to grow uh, successful and profitable businesses. And we've been doing this for heck, almost 20 years, brother. You believe that? I know. It's been a good run. Are, Are we we're, closing we're, shop soon or what? No, it's no, been a good run. Like we we've been doing this longer than most of the guys in the bro marketing space have been alive. So. Yeah. Uh, we, what we want to talk about is like how the industry has changed, you know, how we have to evolve our strategies. Uh, but what I'm really interested in knowing is I've really watched uh, Yuri grow this past year, how he's had to evolve his mindset to continue to lead himself and his team. And there's really li different levels of thought processes that occur at different income levels. Um, Yuri, maybe just take us back to, um, you know, <laughs> Heck, it was probably 2005, 2006, when you were first getting started. Just tell us a bit about like who you are, what you do, how you got into this online space, and then uh, we'll we'll get caught up uh, after kind of hear how you got here. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, you and I have a similar background. So I was a trainer as well as working, you know, a million hours a day, underpaid, all that good stuff. So I did that for a long time. And then in 2005, I was like, I don't really want to keep doing this forever. So let me live the laptop lifestyle. So I came online, wrote an ebook, uh, thought that was going to be my ticket, and Ooh. it wasn't. <laughs> took took several years to figure things out, but the problem was that I tried to do everything by myself, and that was my my first big mistake. And um, I think 2010 was the first year that we actually formally got introduced because I was previously hiding behind my computer and then i was like you know what let me do something different moving into 2010 like let me go to some live events let me join a coaching program and that's when i think that we first like connected in person even though we kind of knew each other a little bit online and that was the inflection points of uh, of my business like actually getting mentorship and coaching to see my blind spots have a proven pl uh, plan and accountability which was huge and then um you know grew that business which was uh, product, mostly product-based, so a, a very general health and wellness business. So it wasn't specific like you were muscle building. For me, it was like the Dr. Oz of health, but I was not even close to Dr. Oz. It was just a generalist. And with that said, eventually we built it to a very high level and I sold it um, about seven years ago because I just got sick and tired of talking about health and fitness and nutrition stuff. But I realized that a lot of other people in our space started coming to me for business advice and we I had really enjoyed learning about business and marketing because that's, you know, as you know, like we spend most of our time doing that, even in that type of business. So for me, it was like, well, what if this was like chapter two? What was it, like, what if this was the next thing I did? And that's where my current company, Healthpreneur, was uh, kind of bloomed out of those conversations. But I didn't really know what it was going to look like initially. I just knew that I wanted to help other health professionals because there's so many amazing, whether it's trainers or doctors or whatever, that just no one knows about, right? And they're smart as ass, but they don't know how to put themselves out there. They don't know how to message. They don't know how to like market. And I wanted to be able to share at least what's worked for me in my journey with, with as many other people as possible so they could then help more people and collectively, you know, uh, make a bigger impact on the planet. So that's kind of been the journey really, you know, in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a great trip and it's it's only beginning, so. Give us a high level of some of the things you played with in the past. Like I remember when you had your greens powder, you had a New York Times bestselling book, you had membership sites. Like, like is that 
is that like, are those days like kind of long gone or those are like separate business models that like you have to be full in on? What's your just thought process on all these other things people might be considering before we go into like what, you know, where the real money is in our opinion? Well, I'm very happy I did almost everything, Chris. So obviously affiliate marketing is big for both of our businesses. Like obviously like the book launches, then we got into the supplements and we did courses. We had, we had four different continuity programs at one point. Like every single business model people have tried. We've done summits, like everything I've done in that, at least in that previous business. And there's a lot of really good lessons to come out of that. Most of it for me was I'm never doing most of it ever again. Because like sometimes you don't know how shitty a path is until you walk it. And it's like, as an example, one of the last book launches we did was for a free plus shipping cookbook offer that did very well for us. But I remember we had nine different upsell flows that were each split testing four different variations of upsells in those. So we had, we had 36 different variables being tested out at the same time so that we can move the average average. Yeah, like so we can move the average order value from nineteen dollars to like twenty four. Yeah, I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I, what game am I playing? So I just got really, I just got really tired of that. Like it's there's, I mean, a tremendous amount of learning and knowledge. I'm really happy I have from having done that stuff, but it also gives myself and, and you too. Like a, you have to be for most people. Like you want to help clients, you want to make money. If you pursue that type of business model, when I say that type of business model, I mean like high volume, low ticket, you have to be a savage when it comes to marketing. And it just takes a very long time to get there. And it's so much easier not to do that and just actually have conversations with people like a real person and help them at a higher level and charge more. And that's essentially our business model with Healthpreneur. It's like, we don't do any of that stuff. We don't even recommend our clients to because they're busy, they're health professionals, they're not professional marketers or copywriters. The last thing they're going to do is what set up a split test for an upsell flow and like optimize the checkout page. Like it's never yeah. going to happen. So, yeah. And they get a lot of it's on ads, split yeah, test it, hooks. Like, yeah. Like, what do you yeah, say like, to people? Like, sorry, no matter what it is you do, like there's going to have to be a certain thing that you focus on. But it's for me at least, I'm like, well, if, if someone comes in with a limited skill set around marketing, and I don't know why I keep getting these thumbs up bubbles on my screen, but it, it's like, where, like, where can you put in the least amount of input to get the most output? And I know that doesn't sound good at all because I'm not espousing anything remotely close to passive income and sitting back and chilling. But it's like, if, you, if you're not the best at sales, marketing, whatever, within that context, what is a business model? that gives you the greatest likelihood of success, right? And unfortunately, in my experience, it's not what I just described. Yeah. And when you have people come to you, I'm sure you you get somebody who just gets discouraged with their progress with selling their coaching offer and they see or hear about somebody who's got this low ticket thing. They're selling it through a mini chat automation and, you know, they're, you know, a single mom or a single dad and they're making $200,000 a month. It's like, how do you kind of steer them back? Well, number one, I'm like, did you know what the back end of their business looks like? Right. So a lot of times we look at these people or businesses and we're like, oh, I should do that. And it's like, well, unless you know exactly what's happening behind the curtains, you may, you may want to be careful what you wish for. 
because we don't know what the refunds are like. We don't know what the quality of those clients are like. We don't know if that person even enjoys their business. Hmm. And it's not that one business is easier than the other, one business model. It's, it's which one you're willing, like which one has the problems you're willing to deal with. Hmm. So like in a higher ticket coaching model, which is obviously what we run and similar to you as well, like you have to get good at selling. Like you have to get good on the phone. You have to get good in chat, whatever it is to move someone across the line. And if someone's like, Gary, I don't want to do that. I'm like, fair enough. What are you going to do instead? Well, I'm yeah. working on this course and I'm going to put it up on a website and I'm going to hopefully sell it and make passive income. I'm like, okay, cool. So you've got, where's the, so let's say that happens. Where are you getting the traffic? So you're going to sell a course for 200 bucks. Where's the traffic coming from? Well, like I've got an email list. Cool. How big is your email list? 500 people. Okay, cool. So once a fraction of those people have purchased, then what? Well, I've got a social following of a few thousand people. Okay, cool. So let's say 1% of your social followers purchased, then what? Well, you just like logically work through this. Like you're going to, are you actually going to buy traffic, like social media advertising at a profit to a low ticket offer that somehow cold traffic, who like people have never heard of you are going to go whether it's directly from a webinar or to a checkout page or a sales page, and they're going to hit buy now for 200 bucks, never going to happen. So it's like, you could do that, go for it, but you're going to spend the next several years becoming the world's best wizard of offer creation slash copywriting. And you can do it because we've done it. We have friends who've done it, but it's like, it's so much easier to have a conversation with five people. One of them says yes to a 5,000 hour program, right? And the guys that we know who like, you know, really cracked the code on that, on those letters via cells and that, like they literally went in, you know, hiding for nine months. Like we thought they died. Totally. They came out. They, they took, this is the thing like people don't understand is like, you know, guys like Andrew or even Brucey and, and all, all the guys we know, like they took a pen and they wrote out by hand the best sales letters of all time. And they did that for a year to two years. Right. And that's all they did. It's like, well, are you going to do that? Like, do you actually want to do that? If you did, it's a great skill set to have, but yeah, that's the price you got to pay for doing that stuff. And it's very tricky. So what's your thoughts on high ticket? You know, it's, is it going anywhere? Is it here to stay? What your, what are your thoughts on it? Like, is, is high ticket going to go to an even higher ticket or is a like high ticket starting to become mid ticket? Like, what are we, what are you starting to experience? Uh, will people continue to pay for the value if you're solving big enough problems? But you know, how are you navigating maybe? Your clients, and I deal with this all the time, there's skepticism around who's going to pay $2,000, $3,000, et cetera, for fitness or health advice. Yeah. I like to reframe it from high ticket to high impact, Hmm. right? If we think of a two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 coaching program, it's not by the hour. If you want to charge that by the hour, I mean, I'm using to you, but for an outcome. So like, listen, we, we serve a similar audience. So I hear this too. It's like, I like to always think about this logically with, with my clients. Like, okay, I get where you're coming from. Not everyone's going to be able to afford a $5,000 transformation program. But let's just say your target market's a million people. Like, what's the likelihood in that 1 million people that there might not be 100 who might say yes? You don't need a million. You might just need 100, and that'll, and that'll satisfy your needs for the rest of your life. Or maybe it's 1,000 people. It, it, so I, I try to, like, really... To think about logically, like what's the what's the logic or what's the likelihood that every single person, it's like when people say my target audience isn't on Facebook or Instagram. I'm like, really? Three billion users? 
who are like, who are you working with? I like, literally, this is a conversation I had like a month ago. Oh, like I, I work with some um, busy female executives. Like, I'm like, oh, they're not, they're not on, they're not on Facebook or like a guy like last week. He's like, yeah, I work with CEOs. They're not on Instagram. I'm like, I'm a CEO. I'm on Instagram. He's like, yeah, but you're not my client. I'm like, that's a great story to keep telling yourself. You yeah. know, so it's like, logically, it just doesn't make sense. And that's kind of the approach I take to it. So I think as long as people are serious about creating true results, not just popping a pill, there will always be an opportunity for high ticket, high impact coaching, because it's almost like, even if the coaching itself was mediocre, the very fact that someone's going to invest a few thousand dollars is going to force them to show up in a way they've never showed up before. Right. And that means they're going to get the results or they'll get closer to the results. And I think that's really important. And then you have this dichotomy of like, well, I want to help everyone. Like the whole Robin Hood thing, like, I get it. Like, but you can't help anyone if you're broke. My whole take is fill up your cup and then work with those people who can afford to work with you and then give everything else, you know, everything else away for free until you elevate that segments of the population to work with you. And you got to work. You got to focus on the clients who are getting results too. I think that's a big mistake. I see a lot of um, students even in in probably all programs making, like they get so upset catering to the, you know, 10, 20% of people in their program who aren't getting results. When what you should be focusing on is elevating the people who are getting results, putting them up on a pedestal and explaining to everybody else in the program why they're succeeding or else you just waste so much mental bandwidth and it devalues your brain when you're, you know, trying to cater to somebody who's not even willing to toe the line and invest at at a significant level. And I think, um, coaches need to be reminded of like, that's where your energy should go. Like bring your top guys up even higher because they will pull the rest of the crew along and help manage everybody else's self-limiting beliefs in the program about what's possible and what's not. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Um, I've had, I've had quite a few conversations about this, this idea that, you know, clients can transform from like, let's say below average to like, like a being a winner. Right. So I really believe that anyone can change. We can all grow. But I think the question is, what's the time frame that's required there? Because what's interesting is, do you know, do you know the graduation rate of Harvard University? No. It's 98%. So like, think of like a coaching program with a 98, 98% success rate. Okay. So like Harvard would be like that. So why does, why does Harvard have a 98% graduation rate? Uh, University of Toronto, which is where I went to school, downtown campus is 80%, but the Mississauga campus is less than 60%. So for those of you guys who like watch or listening, the Mississauga campus of the University of Toronto is kind of like one of their ancillary out of the, the downtown area, like lesser mm-hmm. uh, campuses, if you will. The entry requirements to the Mississauga campus are much, much lower than the downtown campus. And the downtown campus obviously have lower requirements theoretically than Harvard does. So what I, what, I, what I started piecing together and thinking about is like the reason Harvard has such a high graduation rate is because they, they're just, they spot winners. Hmm. They're, they're like a talent scout. 
they're looking for winners. They don't create winners. They find them and they just put them through their vehicle versus, and the reason when I say winners, obviously I use it in air quotes, it's like people who just already are doing well. And that's why yeah. they continue to do well through the program. And, you know, I've, I've always wanted like every single one of my clients to win every, and it, 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 it bothers me when they don't. Right. It's like, why do some people win no matter what? And some are always going to, to run into challenges. And sometimes if someone's like, yeah, like I did this program and this program and this program didn't work. I'm like, maybe you should stay away from me because maybe it's you that didn't work. And it's like, what's going on right. with you as the individual? Because that's like, that's the hard yeah. part about coaching is I think we want all of our clients to win. And, and it's like, what's wrong with my, like, What's wrong with this program that's not allowing some people to win? When in reality, yeah. yes, we have to continually improve our program. But the reality too is like, sometimes we just take on the wrong clients who are not going to win, at least in this time frame, right? I think there's that's, a temptation to go to a certain, uh, you know, sandbox and say, hey, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Because, you know, sometimes team members bring ideas to the table and like, hey, we should cater you know, to this level person who's just getting started and in theory sounds like interesting, like, oh, we could do a super low dollar membership site for these guys and that will groom them into like being ready for this program down the road. Yeah. There's, there's that like kind of tactical, you know, thinking about that angle, but then there's also a like authentic piece around yourself. Like I wasn't a product of buying, you know, a low dollar $47 a month thing and then ascending to spending more money. I mean, I was successful because I took a massive risk and bet on myself and got so super uncomfortable that I was forced to grow. And if I look at the common denominator amongst all my top students and probably yours as well, is they did do something like the hardest part of the whole coaching program was the initial investment. Yeah. So it's like that well, the, was the, the transformation happens at the transaction. Right. Right. And I mean, and what, that's what's, well, what, that's one of the things I admire about you, Vince, is because you put yourself in situations that force you to grow, right? And, and this is what I find very odd about a lot of people who say they are entrepreneurs and say growth is one of their top values, yet they want to have 100% certainty and be comfortable all the time. Yeah. It's like, well, it's you can't, you can't have both. Yeah. It's, it's conditional, uh, that commitment so like people want specific conditions in place before they say yes and you know you know i always say that um clarity comes from commitment people want clarity first well you'll get your clarity after you commit to the process because you know commitment unlocks creativity and, and action but like it doesn't work any other way right it's and that's and the, the ironic thing is is that I don't use this as a selling feature on calls, but I do kind of explain to people like what's happening right now. So I say, hey, you understand that the exact objections that you're giving me on this call are going to be the same ones you attract on your calls because you're not embodying who you need to be in order to overcome them, right? You sell the same way that you buy. And, and for, for a moment, they're like, oh, I get that logically, but like don't actually step into it. And like feel that because like that's that's the thing that people don't understand. You can't sell something you're not. 
Yeah. Um, hey, I need you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So when someone understands that, like, this is your biggest opportunity right now to get, make this as uncomfortable as possible. I always challenge people, like, you should make this as painful as possible. And I, I sometimes tell people straight up, I said, this is way too cheap for you. Like, you should pay me three times just so you take action because you've already paid this amount in the last two programs and it didn't work. So it's clearly not forcing you to be uncomfortable. And uh, it's not a sales technique. Though it's like, it really is the truth. <laughs> well, dude, you're coaching, but that's what coaching is. Like for right. me, coaching and selling are the same. Selling just happens before they give you money, right? Like it's all self-identity stuff. Like you say you want to be here and you're showing up as a, as a shadow of who you want to be. Like what's the likelihood you're actually going to get where you want to go with that type of action or beingness. And to your, to what you said, like, I don't think the thing is like life experience teaches words don't. So if someone's like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. They actually have to experience some really dark moments to really recognize that, to be like, shit, okay, now I get it. Because it's like selling prevention. It's like, yeah, I get it, but it's not going to happen to me. They have to actually live that, that moments of, or several moments of like things not working out for them to finally realize, like, maybe I should change the way I'm doing things. Because what is, and it's, I, I find this a lot with relatively new, when I say new, I mean new to business is like, yeah, well, like, I'm just going to see how this thing goes on first. I'm, I'm building on my website and um, I want to see how it goes first. And I'm like, I'll tell you how it's going to go. It's going to go nowhere, right? I can say that. It's not going to mean anything to them. They have to launch their website. They want to do and see zeros day after yeah. day to recognize, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, and it's, yeah. it's human nature. I always say life is God's best teacher. And um, let's kind of bring it back to like you and I, I'd love to hear like some of the things that you've had to maybe learn the hard way is your business has grown. You've had to evolve your mindset as a leader and, yeah. you know, raising leaders in your company. We talked a lot about this, you and me, Phil, and when we were hanging out in Nashville, but like. Um, sometimes your growth is going faster than your mindset can keep up to like how you need to start like having a bigger vision or how to lead differently. So what have been some of the um, maybe challenges or transitions you've had to deal with just personally, like your mindset has had to like, hold crap. I'm like, I need to fix this. Something's going on here. Yeah, I, I think I, I've noticed a lot of parallels between parenting and working with my team, to be honest. Um, like, I'm being very honest, like my, my tendency is to point out the gap as opposed to appreciation in most people. Hmm. So for instance, instead of saying like, Hey Vince, you did an amazing job on that, whatever I might say, Vince, awesome job. Here's one thing I want to dive into. And it might be one thing that you didn't do quite as well as you know, you could have done. And I think I do that with my kids as well. Um, which I think for them, I obviously maybe it's not as beneficial. And I've had to really catch myself there. But I always have this, this inner dialogue. It's like, when I look at references for very successful coaches, I look at coaches for me, at least from, from soccer, because that was my background. And I, and I look at like the greatest coaches in the world and they all have, what, even if it's like John Wooden, who I don't think anyone would describe as someone who is like a dictator, not that I even consider myself a dictator, but he used to obsess about helping 
his, his athletes, they would spend like an hour and a half learning how to put on their socks properly. Hmm. And these guys are like basketball players. Why are, why are we, why are we spending the whole practice putting on socks? And he's like, because if you don't know how to put your socks on properly, you get a blister. If you get a blister, it doesn't matter how many free throws or three pointers we work on. And that's kind of the way that I approach a lot of my coaching with my team is yes, the outcomes are important for sure. But even when the outcomes are good, I remind them, I'm like, let's just be very clear about something. Don't let the outcomes dissuade us from the process that got us there. So as an example, last month we had an increase in our price for our main coaching program and we had a really big uh, week during that week where there was the uh, the price increase. And the week after that, we had a really bad week. And I and I, it's a good example of like, guys, like, do not rest on your laurels. Don't let one big week dissuade you from the reality of there's some really big gaps in our selling process that need to be addressed. And that's part of my job as a leader is not only to raise what I think is praiseworthy, but also really hold people to a higher standard. So my big evolution, I think the evolution for me and my mindset has been, I think as leaders, we grow a lot faster than, than a lot of our team members do. And Cameron Harold talks about this, this tripling effect where when the business triples, so like from, you know, three to nine, nine to 27, there's usually like a whole turnover of the team. Like very few people are able to grow personally to keep up with the growth of a business. And I was having a conversation with, um, you know, one of my, like my second in command pretty much. And I was, I'm like, what we thought was an A team three years ago is barely even a B team, you know, based on the standards and where we're at now in the business. And that's kind of weird to think about because if, if what we thought was an A team a couple of years ago is not even close to that, well, what does this team look like next year? And I think the only, the only thing that we can encourage amongst our team members is like one of our core values is driven to grow. So if someone on our team is just continually making the same mistakes or not leveling up to a point where they should be based on their role, their outcomes, their performance, et cetera, then it's like, hey, man, we got to have these conversations to look at, you know, how can we best support you? Either we coach you up or we coach you out. You know, and this is a, actually a conversation I have to have with our sales team in like half an hour is just kind of setting the standards for this year. Because I'm like, hey guys, last year was last year. This year is a different year. So I'm just going to be very clear to you guys again. Like these are the expectations. And that's, okay. you know, if you're not cool with that, that's fine. If you wanted to be on the team last year, great. That was last year. We had a good year. This year, you got to raise the bar. And you know, I think that's that's the nature of the beast is like some people are willing to grow and some people are just happy to go. And I think we as leaders, at least for me, I've had to constantly maintain that standard because it's very easy for most of our team members don't like change. Mm -hmm. So when we institute new ideas, not that it's happening daily, but just kind of new evolutions, there's a lot of resistance. And if there's yeah. a lot of resistance, it means most people in general, even though they say they're growth oriented, fear change. So it's like, well, how do you grow if you don't want to change? But us, we're like, cool, let's keep growing. Let's keep changing to some degree. So I think it's really, for me, it's been about 
having harder and harder conversations, to be honest, as the business has grown. I think early on, I settled for a lot of stuff that I would no longer tolerate. Hmm. And just being very, very clear with people about, you know, what excellent looks like is not the same as like good. Um, and just being very frank with people and just saying like, listen, like this is, this is the new era. Like if you can't keep up with this pace, if you can't keep up with this growth, which by the way is not, I don't think it's unreasonable to say if you're going to upload some videos, just make sure you upload the right videos, right? If you're going to put a link in a description, make sure it's the correct link. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect certain things like that to happen. So yeah, I think it's been the tricky part is like you have these personal relationships with uh, your team members and be able to dissociate that from the person's performance and or their ability to stay on the team because they're just not willing to grow enough. And, mm. you know, last year we had let go of 17 people. Wow. And that all happened for 60 days of hiring them, which, you know, leads back to some of the hiring issues that we had. But, you know, we hire very, we hire very slowly, but we, we fire very quickly generally. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard. Like as you go to your business, there's more people, there's more stakeholders. There's, yeah. you know, this is their full-time vocation. You know, they've got stuff they got to take care of. So it's never easy, but at the same time, if you want to build a world-class company, you have to have world-class people at every level. And that's just been a realization that I've had. And it's a standard that I will never compromise on. And it's, I tell people we hire them. I'm like, Hey, working with me, working for me, is not easy. Like I'm not a micromanager, but I'll tell you exactly what you're doing well and what you're not doing right. And my goal here is to help you become better than when you first started. And if I'm being honest, you'll probably hear a little bit more constructive criticism from me than you will positive praise. But if you hear positive praise from me, just know that you've done an exceptional job because for someone to really like on my radar, this was amazing. It speaks a lot because um, very few people do that. That's really good. So what talk a bit about um, the building of the team. You know, what are some of the key roles um, that you've hired that, you know, maybe how it's evolved, like who have you needed, you know, at a million dollar level, five million dollar level, plus like what kind of, how does the team start to expand as the company starts to grow? Like just kind of just high level. Uh, what should you expect? Who do you need? Um, so I think when you're at, you know, when you're kind of like zero to a million, it really is the hardest part. Like the zero to a million is, is really tricky for a lot of people because you're trying to make sense of like, will this work? So a lot of it's product market fit. It's validation of the offer. It's you have to build a lot of skills very quickly. So selling, marketing, messaging, all that stuff, it, like it happens all at the same time and it's, it's really hard. So the zero to 1 million, I think is probably the hardest for most people. It's also very hard to stay focused because when things are not working as fast as you want them to, it's very easy to jump ship onto the next thing. Cause in that foundational period, you put in a lot of work for a little bit of improvements and that can be very discouraging for, for anyone when you have more leverage later on in your business. You do a little bit of work for a bigger output. So, and that's, and that's probably why statistically most small business owners don't last beyond two years or even five years at the most. 
So when, when we're looking to crack that first million, I mean, first and foremost, I think the most important thing, to be honest, is like whatever you can do to build your, uh, your, your skill set around sales and marketing is the most important thing you can do with your time. Like you can be a one-man machine and build a half a million dollar business in a high-ticket coaching model before you start running into, all right, I might need a bit of support now. Like you can, you can hit 50K a month as a one-man show selling a three to 5,000-hour program. We have many clients that do that. Once, now I'm not saying that's going to be sustainable forever, but once you hit that, that mark around, I'd say about 30 to 50K a month, you want to start getting the low leverage stuff off your plate. So all of the, like the 10, $15 an hour tasks, anything like an admin assistant would do, that's going to be the first hire. It's typically going to be an admin assistant, get the low hanging stuff off your plate. That's not moving the needle. Get that person ramped up to full time. You continue to focus mostly on acquisition so you can feed the machine, which is your business with more profit, which gives you more opportunity to then hire most likely in a coaching business, someone to support you on delivery. So the second big hire, I shouldn't say big, but second hire sequentially is typically going to be a coach, a client concierge, someone who can own client success hmm. so that they are responsible for how your clients do retention, renewal, all that stuff. Once you have those in place and you may need another person on delivery to support, because what happens is in a coaching business, the ability to step out of delivery for you becomes the biggest bottleneck. And we want to free up that time to spend on more like the, the discovery calls and acquisition. So that's like typically up until about, you know, 750K in revenue. You have an admin assistant, maybe one or two coaches. And I'm talking about like keeping things lean. Now, if you want to hire other people, that's, that's on you, but I don't think it's necessary. Beyond that, like once you hit about you know, the 750 mark, you started looking at operational issues. So having someone maybe stepping in to support with the ops or project management can be helpful. Again, it depends on how simple or complex the business is. Um, but the admin assistant can sometimes be that person who could evolve into that role, depending on how much, you know, how many different things they've, they've touched. Once you get to like the one to three million, then you start looking at higher roles. So you're looking at, you know, bigger Bigger hires, ideally more on leadership. So people who can come in, let's say director of client success. So that person completely takes client success off your plate. Anyone in the coaching department reports to them and they own that. Like maybe you're still running marketing. Maybe you're still running sales. That's fine. Cool. We look at a director of marketing or a marketing manager or a director of sales. If you have a, a sizable sales team at this point. So one to three million, you're typically going to be looking at hiring some of those leadership team um, individuals and ideally people who've been there and done that before. And this is tricky because the mistake that I made was when you're, when you're used to hiring a lot of people, when you're a little bit lower off and lower in, um, on the business side, revenue wise, is you hire a lot of what I call seeds. And these are people who have potential, but they, they haven't necessarily been there and done that. When you start hiring stars, there's mm -hmm. a different price tag that comes with that. And that can be pretty scary if you've never made that investment before. But I can, and I don't know if I'm sure you've realized this too, it's like you always get what you pay for. Like if you hire someone and pay them 20K a month, that is a significantly better hire 
than if you hired someone for 5K a month in the same role. And it's, I'm telling you, like, although it, it hurts, it doesn't have to be 20K, I'm just using that as an example. As long as you do your due diligence and the person's coming through, has experience or whatever, they will, they will do the job of three people. And I think when you, when you're approaching that three mil, one of the biggest bottlenecks is like a lack of people who've been there before. We hire people who are, are not like, they're not as smart as us. They're, they're, sorry, they're not as smart as us. We can teach them a few things. And that always keeps us at a plateau because we're the ultimate source of all the growth. But we have to hire people that are better than us if we want to go beyond three. And then three to 10 is going to just be refining of the process and increasing lifetime value back end, uh, trying to keep the business relatively simple, even though opportunities to expand are still there and continuing to level up on the leadership front. So it's going to be coaching, training the leaders to grow the business, allowing you to buy back more of your time to spend more time doing what you love to do. And then you as the CEO, um, I just consider myself the chief communication officer. If there's something that is not clear in the business, that's my fault. I didn't do a good job at clearly articulating what that is, why it's important, what good looks like. And I think the, uh, the more the business grows, the more time we have to sit back away from the doing this and really think and really like articulate our thinking. Because then we're sharing that vision with, 10, 20, 50 people, whatever it is. And that's a huge leverage point. But if you don't clearly articulate that communication, it becomes a big issue because now you've got dozens of people who are not clear about what they're doing or what the vision is. And then you get all sorts of issues um, because of that. So I don't know. Does that make sense? In terms of- I love it. No, it was a freaking great breakdown. I love the chief communication officer and just taking ownership when people aren't clear. And- uh, just really uh, refining the um, the focus and staying focused. And I love what you said about um, the hiring. I know Hermosi's got a good line, or maybe it's Layla. One of them says, um, hire for knowledge. And um, to be blown away on the interview, like, oh, wow, I didn't know that's what yeah, you, you got to learn something. They got to bring stuff to the table, right? Like, you don't want to be teaching anyone anything in an interview. You want to be like, I didn't, I never considered that. That's good to know. So 100%. So what does it look like? Let's say, uh, I just like to hear your thoughts on this. Let's say you made a big hire, you're paying them a substantial amount and you might've misstepped a tad and you're like, man, this person needs more training than I anticipated. Might've made a bit of an eager hire. Is it like, how do you manage your frustration? Like, okay, I'm either going to let this person go, start the process over, or I'm going to put the time in and bring them up. Like, what's your thought process there? Yeah. So, I mean, we had this exact situation happen with two different people at the end of last year. So I'm very close to this. How do you manage your frustration? That's like a daily existence for me. I'm like, how do I manage my expectations relative to what I'm seeing? And then it's like, you know, trying to be realistic. So first thing that I do is I'm like, where did I mess up in the hiring process? Where was I not abundantly clear about the specific aspects of this role and or what this individual was responsible for. So as an example, last year we hired, um, we, we made a big commitment. I made a big commitment to say our appointment setter team or our, our BDRs, business development reps, I wanted them to be, a, I wanted that team, which at the time was non-existent, to be a significant source of revenue for our business. 
And we had had a couple people helping us in the DMs on Instagram for a few years here and there, but nothing really like formal. And I was like, that's it. This 2023 is going to be the year. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to find the person because we actually have a process that works. And we have had a few people who've worked it well. And then, you know, they just took other opportunities in the past. So I said, okay, I want, I don't have the bandwidth to run this. I need someone who's been there and done that to do this. And so we hired someone and I started like my first inclination that I had the wrong hire was fairly early on where she had given me a series of emails because we were doing some email outreach as well. And I could tell they were copy paste out of ChatGPT. And I was like, oh. yes. because in that role, whether it's in the DMs or email, like messaging is very, very important as is process. And so I was like, is she the right person on the messaging fronts? Because I don't even think these emails, I don't, we can't send this stuff. Right. We're not talking about long emails. I'm talking about just a couple sentences. So now I'm like, oh man. And great. She's a great person, amazing cultural fit, loved working with her. But I just saw how slow things were moving. And we had five people, five appointment setters, and her. And we were getting like nothing output wise. Now we were focused more on Instagram a couple months into this. And five people in the DMs and we're booking like a handful of calls a week. And I'm like, this is just not, this is crazy. So anyways, I got to the point where I knew this wasn't going to make sense. She was spending 20 hours a week in needless role plays on WhatsApp with our team, uh, using a process that was unnecessary in, in spending or forcing our team, each individual one to two hours a day in admin work, which was a complete waste of time. And so it took me, with this case, six months to realize, like, we have the wrong person. I took back ownership of this team. We let three of them go and the team lead. And in two weeks, we did more volume in sales than she had produced in five months. And I'm not going to blow my own horn here, but, like, when I go into a chat and I can see the conversation, I know how to have the conversation. And I'm like... That's on me for number one, hiring the wrong person and probably two, not training her the way that I think she should have been trained. But I think initially it was the wrong person to begin with. So in that case, to be honest, like that realization of like, she's not the right person, the performance improvement plan that we, we had put her on should have happened very, very quickly, not like six months later. Mm-hmm. Another example we hired a content manager in at the end of November and it was the middle of January. And I'm like, what's happening on the content fronts? Like we had YouTube videos that were not being published after specific days. We'd never missed a publishing date in four years, probably. And three weeks in a row, these videos are just falling through the cracks. And I'm like, what's going on here? And I had several hard conversations and I wasn't even his direct report. Like he's, he was leading the content team, and he was reporting to director of marketing. So director of marketing had spoken to him. I had spoken to him and I said, listen, I just want to know, like, is this a skill thing? Is it a will thing? Or is it a clarity thing? Like, like, I just want to make sure I'm supporting you here. Are you not sure like what to do? You don't care about doing it or you're just not clear about what, you know, how to do it. And so he said, no, no, like it's no, I'm feeling good now. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, manage my workflow. I'm like, so what I started to realize is like, 
he didn't even know how to be a, an effective contributor from a work perspective. Like he couldn't even manage his own energy and time to produce and execute the content we wanted to put out there. And so that was, it wasn't six months, it was six weeks, but literally from the time he started to the time he left, he added little to no value to our company, created a tremendous amount of stress for the people underneath them because there was no direction and they had a Saturday night, not an all-nighter, but last minute thing to pull some strings for the Sunday video. It, it was just, it was just incredible. And and I say this because we have a very like intense hiring process. Like, it, you know, it, there's a lot of steps for people to jump through. And unfortunately, sometimes you don't realize until they're in the role. But when they're in the role, my experience is like, when they're great, you know, right away. And when they're not great, you have that, like that doubt. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, that's usually the right answer. You know, the doubt. What? Oh, that's, uh, that's like, good, yeah. man. Because like, I don't have the luxury of someone taking six months to get up to speed if they're being paid a star salary, right? I'm like, one thing if you're a junior or whatever, but if you're coming in in a leadership role and you've done this before, you got to be hitting the ground running on day one, not six yeah. weeks later. I hear you, man. Yeah, the role comes back to personal standards. It's one of the yeah. toughest things and holding yourself to those standards so you can hold others to the standard kind of comes back around to what we we're talking about with the sales conversation and getting somebody to step up, you know, on that sales yeah. call, the leader has to do this as well to expect from his team. So, you know, the good theme all the way through this journey, building a business forces you to become like, I think building a business is one of the best ways to become a better person. It's just constant tests. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if you feel like this sometimes, Vince, like sometimes I feel like I've become, I, I don't know, like I feel like I'm harder now like i'm more intense now than i used to be like i'm less forgiving just based on the fact that i know what good looks like and what isn't so i'm much more like ruthless i don't know if that's the right word to use mm -hmm. than i was you know five ten years ago i would let people be on a team for two years even though i knew they shouldn't be on the team and now it's like i just i just don't have the time to do that and it's not fair to them if they're not the right fit for the role right. like i just gotta call them you know and, and your whole team's better. getting stronger too in the process. So there, you got more eyes on you and expectations. It's it's more like, hey, you're building this culture. It's becoming more obvious, like who's meant to be on the team. And your team yeah. kind of knows like, hey, you're going to take care of this one here. Or... <laughs> like yeah, they, they almost expect you to just that they want to respect you and your process as well. Yeah. And I mean, we're very transparent with our team about, like I had to let go of four people in one day at the end of, uh, December. And that was, that was hard to do. But what was interesting is they thanked me. They're like, thank you so much for this opportunity. Like we have actually never let anyone go that didn't end up on good terms. So it's mm -hmm. like, whether they were with us for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or, you know, very seldomly is it a couple of years that we let someone go, but they're always very, very grateful because we treat our people very well. And it's a really great opportunity they have to, you know, kind of live with more meaning and do good work. But it's not easy. I mean, like <clears throat> people become your biggest asset and your biggest problem. So mm. when you grow a business, initially when I first started out years ago, I actually didn't want to make more than poverty line income just so I wouldn't have to pay HST. Fair. Like way back. 
you know, like yeah. I'll stay under 30K so I don't have to pay HST. And I didn't want to make a lot of money because then I'd have all the tax burdens and the people burdens. And that was a mindset, right? And then I just started to think, well, well, that's not really going to get us any closer to where we want to go. And now it's like, well, do I want to build a bigger team? Yes, but not for the sake of building a bigger team. It's just, I want to build a business that helps more people. And if we need a couple more people, then that, that is what it is. And I'm willing to deal with the problems that that's going to bring, right? Of hard conversations of, of some cases, hiring someone who's not a good fit and then having to let them go. But I would rather go through that because I, as hard as it is, I really enjoy the growth that comes from that because I think I've become a better person, a better, a better human, a better leader for leading people. Like if I didn't lead anyone, how could I be a leader? Right? So it's not easy, but it's, it's worthwhile. Like it, it really, really is. You're a great way to end there, man. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Great conversation. Yeah. Really great conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Yuri, where can people follow you? See what you're up to. Yeah. I mean, really simply, uh, Instagram is probably the best place. I'm at health printer, or you can check it. I put up pretty much everything I can think of on YouTube. Um, I don't hold anything back. So at health printer on YouTube or at health printer on the IG. Yeah, you're crushing the YouTube, man. You inspired me. We started up the YouTube channel. So thanks for that. Pump for our next uh, hangout. Um, hopefully yeah, before, sure. but uh, Ireland next stop, eh? Ireland next stop. Yeah, it's going to be good. Should be a good time. All right, my friends. I hope you got tons of value from that. Uriel came, man. You really delivered today. That was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed uh, just listening to you share so openly and so much value and actionable insights. So, hey, listen, you know what to do next, my friends? Share this on your social stories. Tag Yuri, tag myself. We'll put our um, handles in the show notes there and uh, share it on your social stories with people who are going to get value from eight-figure CEOs who've been doing this for a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, time around the block. <laughs> Almost 40 years That's between both of us. It's crazy. Holy jeez. So yeah. hopefully you guys got some value. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you all soon. Ciao, ciao.